You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 3, Episode 1. This is part of our uh, collaborative series on Revelations. It's Revelation, not Revelations. Well, we're we're using two different texts from Revelation, so I thought Revelations was okay. Well, it's two different pieces of the same text, though. So it's still all one Revelation. I thought it was Revelations and at. Oh, my goodness. Okay, guys, Yinzer is here today. Yikes. <laughs> I thought we only had one guest host today, and here comes Yinzer Man. Wait, guests? What guests? Well, we—I thought we only had one, but you've—you've you've split into two personalities today. Uh, our other guest is our good friend Rebecca Depoe, who has been on the podcast with us before and is going to be collaborating with us as we talk about the revelation of John of Patmos over the next few months. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, guys. How are you doing today? We're doing pretty great. It's fun to have a third. Uh, partner in crime yeah i'm happy to be here and walk through this very weird text with you all <laughs> you're gonna be the third wheel on our theological tricycle <laughs> won't be the first yeah, the time third wheel <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness poor rebecca gets dragged into things with us all the time oh, it's so true <laughs> okay so this week i think i have the coolest sermon title ever for a sermon on revelation well of course you think that well yeah because <laughs> you know what is it the uh eve of destruction subtitle alpha and omega well you're not that original because that's my sermon title too get out well neither of you oh, are that original because that's also my sermon title what it's almost like we planned that like, we're all working on the same thing? That, yeah. Isn't that fun? I'm really excited about this uh, sermon series, podcast series, and Bible study. Rebecca and I are leading a Bible study on Revelation as well. We're doing some serious collaborative work right now. It's like a whole lot of revelations are going on. I thought it was revelation. It is. That's going to be a running gag. I'm so sorry now, listeners, that you're going to have to listen to that gag a million times. Um, yeah, so we um, this is an exhausting time, as Alan and I have noted on some recent episodes. Your preachers are exhausted, folks. And this is really hard, and it's hard to keep coming up with new and interesting ways to talk about the things that are going on in the world. Um, as preachers, we're called to address those issues from scripture and so this is just a breath of fresh air to me to be able to work with you guys on sermons we're essentially writing our sermons together and uh sharing the legwork of, of the study and bouncing things off of each other i think it's going to bear a lot of fruit how about you rebecca yeah i think what's really unique about what we're doing is um our five churches have taken very different approaches to um how they are worshiping this summer um, my churches um, have resumed in-person worship. Um, Alan's churches are doing kind of a hybrid model of um, 
occasional in-person gatherings, but mostly virtual. Um, and Chris's churches are most are virtual only, I think, at this point. Um, yeah. But what's really cool about like having some virtual services at all of our churches is it really allows us to collaborate in like in new and exciting ways. Um, all three of us bring very different gifts um, as preachers to the text. Um, and it's really fun to kind of see how other people are approaching the same text and where they hear God speaking in it. Um, and it's also really interesting to hear how God is speaking similar words through all of us. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited, uh, to kind of work with them as we're putting the sermons together every week. Yeah, it's, it's a fun way to lean in to the weirdness around us. Um, this is a totally unique opportunity, something we can't normally do on a Sunday when we are in our own buildings and, you know, we can talk a lot and we can do sermon prep ahead of time. But this is true collaboration in all or at least most parts of the worship service. And my goodness, it's the perfect time to experiment. We all talk about the way that church needs to be different, that we need to try new and bold and interesting things. And lo and behold, here's an actual honest to god opportunity to try something new yeah and for those of you who want to kind of get a feel for what this is going to look like uh we're going to be putting up the sermon audio that we put together on the podcast as well so um, those of you who subscribe and aren't members of any of our congregations you'll be able to listen to those and get a feel for for what this collaboration can look like and I think it's going to take shape in a couple different ways for our sermons. This week, we're literally each preaching a third of the sermon and editing it, editing the video together. Rebecca will do a little bit of uh, gloss work on it to preach it live. But um, those who are watching the videos of it will actually get all three of our voices, literally, not just our figurative, like written voices uh, in that sermon. And I hope that this can be a good model for other ministers to be able to collaborate with one another to get a little bit of a break and help. Yeah. Well, and it's not just like getting a little bit of a break. It's also like reigniting my passion for preaching. Um, as with the rest of the world, like the last couple months have um, have not been great in terms of coming up with like new, uh, what's the word I want, like new avenues for preaching. Like, I feel like at this point in the pandemic, I'm basically preaching the same sermon week after week. Like, please wear your mask. <laughs> Don't hug each other in church. Um, and, and so, yeah, so it's been really good to kind of reimagine how we preach, what that looks like. And also, and I meant to bring this up a little bit earlier. Um, so my churches have resumed in-person worship, but we are not worshiping at the level that we were pre-COVID. Um, I would say, I mean, it's summertime, so that kind of skews our numbers a little bit, but we're only worshiping at like, I don't know, 50, 60% of where we were pre-COVID. And I'm really convicted and convinced that we need to be providing more virtual opportunities for people to worship um, as people are not feeling comfortable being in church, but also like have other things going on uh, that they can't quite make it there on Sunday morning. Um, 
so yeah, I'm really looking at this as an opportunity to kind of reach more people than I could just reach at 9.15 or at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Right. It, it, you know, I don't know about the two of you, but we have noticed that our, um, our viewer stats on our online broadcasts or webcasts or whatever casts you want to make them, um, (laughs) are a lot higher than what they were for in-person services, not counting the the usual drop-off in attendance in summer months. So, you know, we might have 140 or 150 views on a given Sunday. And yes, we don't know how many of those watched for two minutes or watched for 20 minutes or watched the whole service, but we know people are watching. And we also know that a lot of our own families, there are two or three or four or five or even six people watching a screen. So the actual numbers of people who are participating in worship are way higher than what they were when we were dependent on who showed up in the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. We've seen that as well. And in fact, at one of my congregations, giving is actually up, which is inexplicable. Um, And yeah, we've but we've seen the same thing. And we assume that a lot of those watches are households, especially the ones that are we, we set it up as a YouTube premiere. So you can see how many people are waiting to watch it as soon as it drops at 10 a.m. It'll show, you know, one waiting and then five waiting and then 20 waiting. And so I know that several of those are households where there's two, three, four, five people watching it all together. Yeah, that are. Yeah. yeah and I think the other thing that's been kind of beneficial um, in this transition to online worship as a younger person, uh, as a younger pastor, like I get really frustrated with um, my older congregants saying, well, like young people just don't care about the church or young people just don't want to be in church when like our culture has shifted to the point where not everyone is off on Sunday morning. Like other things are happening on Sunday morning that are competing with our time and our energy. And if we can be a little bit flexible with when or how we worship, I think that opens up opportunities uh, for more people to hear what we have to say. Yeah, speaking of apocalypse, which uh, is Greek for uncovering, uh, there's actually a Greek word for calypse as well. You can calypse or apocalypse, so you can cover or uncover something. And a lot of things are being revealed and uncovered about our church, about our world um, by this pandemic. So, you know, one of the things is we were talking about the preparation for why preaching Revelation. One of them was a lot of people are jumping to Revelation as an indicator that we are living in the end of times, that this is the end of the world. But that there, there is no end of the world in scripture. <laughs> there is a beginning of a, a, a new iteration, um, kind of. Um, I've had REMs, it's the end of the world as we know it, stuck in my head all day. Thank you very much, guys, for that. that that's great. It starts uh, with an earthquake, it, birds and snakes and airplanes. I mean, so I've, Lenny Bruce is not I've afraid. I've had the Shiler Sisters right. song stuck in my head all day, but sure, you guys go yep, to yep. the end of the world. It, 
Yeah. So what but, but one of the things I like about that is it's the end of the world as we know it. And that that's right. what uh, what we see in times like this is that it feels like the end of the world, but it's just the end of the world as we know it. And that's okay. The world as we know it, we being collective humanity, ends all the time and changes and becomes something new. And that is okay. And that is scriptural. And that is one of the things we see in Revelation. Yes, Not my, Revelation. Heart cries out. <laughs> my heart cries out with a joyful shout. As the world is about to turn. Yes. Ooh. Yeah. Mary's, Mary's song. Advent Mary's canticle. Nice. Uh-huh. It, it helps that I used that hymn a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I love that one. That one gets me so excited. Every time it gets me wound up. Well, it's just such a great old Irish tune. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. So let's dive into the text. Um you're telling me this isn't a coded prophecy that was meant for us in the 21st century only? I am I am absolutely telling you that. I am telling every person who has ever given me a pamphlet on Revelation that. I'm telling Kirk Cameron that. Um, by the end of this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, Alan and Rebecca and I are not just going to be a pile of clothing on the floor in front of a microphone. Um, that is absolutely what I am telling you. It is not a coded message on how to predict the end of the world when everything blows up or implodes or explodes or goes poof or whatever. Well, I hang, hang on a sec. I, I I think I think I'm about to be raptured. You are definitely oh, still there, dude. You're not going anywhere, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're right. You're right. I'm still here. Well, I I think I'm really going to blow your mind when I say um that I actually think Revelation is about Jesus. <gasps> there wait. You mean all that stuff about the lamb isn't really just literally about a lamb? I think it's a metaphor for Jesus. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we should like step a step back and, and probably just do a brief thing on this. I'm going to, if anyone wants to really dive into the nature of apocalyptic literature, check out the Bible Project podcast. These guys have a YouTube channel that I love with all my being. And I didn't realize until recently they have a podcast and they have a great section on apocalyptic literature on the podcast. But um, briefly speaking, apocalypse does not mean end. Like I said before, it just means uncovering and lots of things can be revealed, not necessarily the future. Uh, so you could consider Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus an apocalypse. All of the sudden, the things that were holding him back, the way that he saw the world around him was unraveled. And that's what we're seeing. We are living in, a, in an apocalyptic time. I do believe that. I believe that this pandemic is an apocalypse, but not in that it's going to end humanity, but rather it has pulled the, the sheet off of a whole lot of stuff that's wrong with our culture and with our church and with the way we do our lives. Speaking of sheets, would you consider Peter's dream in the book of Acts to be an apocalypse? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just preached on that one, right? I did just preach on that. That's why it's at the front of yeah. my mind. <laughs> yeah. 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 It, it is not shrouded by anything. It's not. No, there's a lot of apocalypse actually in the Bible. Daniel, you know, that's mm -hmm. a, a pretty obvious, uh, obvious one. 
Um, there's lots of dreams in the Bible that could be considered revelation or apocalypse. Uh, think about Joseph. And the, the ones for Joseph are indicating things toward the future, um, how his brothers will bow down, there'll be famine, all of that. Um, but apocalypse by its nature is not a foresight necessarily. Not necessarily. And it functions in a lot of the, it functions similarly to works of prophecy in that they are not, uh, they're, they're, they're warnings. They are calls for repentance. They are calls for faithfulness. And the people have an opportunity to comply, to live into the call to faithfulness. I'm just like curious what was you this is a slight topic change but only slight what was you guys's first you guys's yinzes y'all's first experience with revelation like the first time you were like whoa about revelation like what was it because for me uh, my parents handed me the left behind series and I read, I had, I don't, I had like read Revelation when I read the Bible cover to cover, but no one had ever like tried to explain any of it to me before I read that book. And then I was like, what? This is messed up. That, is that in the Bible? So um, I was 11 when the Left Behind series came out and my mom, my, the church that we went to was doing like a, um, I don't want to say like a book club, but kind of a book club on it. And my mom was a part of it and she read the book. And um, I don't think she really liked it. And I think it came out like around summertime and I was bored. So I read the book and then I realized it was part of a series. So then like that summer I inhaled like all of the books. I think there were like seven at the time or something. There's a million. Yeah, of now them, there's yeah. a million of them. I think I only made it through like the seventh. Um, and I was just so captivated by this thought of some people being left behind and some people going to heaven and, like, I remember having, like, nightmares about it. And then, um, what's the name of that series on HBO that Justin, what's his name, is in? Is it Left Behind? No. What, it's something. I watched, like, one episode I of it. I have absolutely no idea what you're talking I, about. I, when I'm done talking, I will Google it and figure out what it is. But, but it's the <laughs> same premise, right? Where, like, all the good people go to heaven and all the bad people are left behind and they're, like, killing each other. Because what else are you going to do when half the population is gone? Um, but I, ne I, I didn't actually sit down to read Revelation from like cover to cover until I was in seminary. <laughs> um, and I remember reading it and going like, this is so much better than the Left Behind series on the one hand. On the other hand, I have absolutely no idea what is uh, what is happening here. So that was my experience yeah. with it. I think that's so, a lot of people's experience. What's yours, Alan? Uh, well, if you'll let me talk. <laughs> oh, the tables so, have turned. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, like, like Rebecca, I had never read Revelation cover to cover until we were starting to plan this series. Uh, I've, I've read the pieces that come up in the lectionary, and I've read bits and pieces, but... Growing up, it was always like it was either the metalheads in high school who knew something about the Bible or or who could quote some reference from Metallica or something that that's in Revelation. Were like, dude, you gotta check out Revelation. 
who who were always just taking it a little too seriously, or it was like some great aunt of mine who uh, was talking about the evils of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, and dear. <laughs> yes, which which really makes the whole seven headed beast make uh, it makes it you know make a little bit more sense. But uh, no, sense isn't the right way uh, word. But you know the the all of the people who seemed at least a little bit scary or out there or just a tiny bit off were the ones who were into Revelation and. I didn't. That did not give me a lot of motivation to explore it further. So, uh, but this this series did give me motivation to explore it further, and as as Rebecca said, it did not disappoint. Uh, there is so much more going on than what any of the glosses that I had heard of Revelation. Uh, offered to my young and developing mind. And I think that that's a great encouragement for our listeners and our congregants. Um, If you have not read Revelation or you tried to read it and it didn't make any dang sense, um, please know. Rebecca didn't read it until seminary. Alan didn't read it until like just the other day. I was a weird kid. I actually had read it, um, but I was not normal. So, but so like it's okay if you haven't read it because it's a really, really, really difficult text. It's extremely inaccessible. And that's why we're not only doing the podcast series on it and the sermon series on it, but the Bible study on it. I've recommended to my congregations to pick up N.T. Wright's book, Revelation for Everyone. I think that that is an excellent, excellent um, study guide to go along with it. Um I also, Alan, I think we might have talked about this before, and I know that Rebecca is too young to remember this, but did you have to watch the Hell's Bells video series in youth group as a kid that talked about the evils of heavy metal music and why you couldn't watch it? And it was all no. about how, like, they're Satanists and, and it was no, going to bring, like, the no. end of times. I, I, was, I was spared from a lot of that foolishness. Um, I, I certainly did have... A great aunt who watched Pat Robertson every day and could sometimes pull stuff out of left field. Uh, I certainly do remember the uh, controversy, in air quotes, about backward masking, which is the idea that uh, that the you could find the satanic influence in rock and roll records by spinning them backwards on the turntable and hearing secret messages that were recorded there. Uh, they weren't, but that's... <laughs> not that, even close. Not even close. Um, but, you know, I I always saw it as um, a sort of over-the-top foolishness to it and was was able to keep it at arm's length. And so was not ever sug- <clears throat> subjected to uh that kind of that kind of um poor and narrow interpretation of scripture applied to a part of popular culture and 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 I will say that I spent my high school years in an American Baptist congregation with a lot of rock and rollers and a couple of 
metalheads. So, um, you know, somehow I got lucky and it wasn't drummed into my head. So this won't surprise either of you, but I was a pretty earnest child. No. And as well as weird, I know. <laughs> and uh, so I like took that really seriously and did not listen to heavy metal music. I was like, it's bad. Only bad kids listen to it. And then one day is like, a young adult, I heard Twisted Sister for the first time. I was like, this is really friggin' good. <laughs> I don't know what oh, the big that, deal is. <laughs> and that that's that's hair metal anyhow. <laughs> so I Yeah, but it was lumped into it. So I don't really have like in in the church that I attended growing up, I didn't really realize they were conservative until I showed up at like a youth group lock-in with like a Harry Potter book. And they were like, Oh my gosh, Ooh. there's witchcraft in here. You can't read that. And I'm like and I and I literally remember looking at the person and saying, "This is the greatest work of literature of our generation. Leave me alone." <laughs> oh, so, Carissa, you were not alone in being a weird kid. Yeah, um, rock on, weird kids united. <laughs> um, I I so I kind of went that route to, just to like, I think it's good for us to all own that we have baggage surrounding Revelation. Because my reaction to the weird ways Revelation was interpreted and the ways that people tried to, like, do this supernatural evil versus good Satanism stuff um, when I was a kid, like, my reaction has been to avoid Revelation like the plague. Avoid that book. Read it when you must and avoid it otherwise. Yeah, I can say in almost five years of ministry, I don't think I have ever preached on Revelation it, I might have touched on it in a sermon as, you know, one of the other texts. I might have read it in worship, but a full-on sermon on anything in Revelation, I'm pretty sure the answer is no way. I have definitely preached on this opening text, um, the one that we're going to be focusing on this week, um, when it comes up in the lectionary, just because... I I really resonate with this idea of God being in control, which is what I take this passage to be a lot about. I think I've also preached about some of the letters to the churches, because I think those are very preachable in uh, church contexts. But I've definitely never preached about the Whore of Babylon. What? No, no be beast sermons? Nope. You're not going into the beast? Nope. No, and, you know, also no sermons on fornication, though I think I have had some sermons on idolatry. Idolatry, or, it does sound familiar. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe a podcast episode some, or something. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and and it, it's funny because there's, like, those of us that avoid revelation, and then there's those who are like, bad stuff's happening in the world, this is the end of times, and point to revelation as it and and that was why as we were talking at first i laughed when alan said hey how about we do a series on revelation next i'm like you're stupid i'm not doing that <laughs> um but then the more i thought about it i was like yeah that really makes a lot of sense it's like something was unmasked unveiled something was revealed to you well it's just as long as you keep your mask yeah. on when you go out in public Preach. <laughs> uh. Yeah, we we don't want to unmask faces in public right now. We want to unmask the uh, evils of idolatries. The world. Yeah, mm -hmm. the idolatries, big idolatries and soft idolatries. 
Indeed. Yeah, I've heard that in, one before. In, mm, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think we've all been hearing from congregation members that they're uneasy. And when people are uneasy, things that appear in Revelation appear as if they are coded language. And, like, we are just living into the decoding. And, you know, I heard this from more than one of my members, and they, they're they very sane and well-adjusted people. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't people who, uh, I'm thinking, let me go find that list of therapists in the area. They were people who are intelligent and thoughtful, and even they were concerned enough to wonder what's going on. And that's part of the nature of prophetic literature, that it speaks into troubled situations. It just doesn't speak into them as a code that is specifically valid in the year 2020. And so it's an opportunity for us to unlock a lot of content that we push off to the side because it's scary or weird or just plain confusing. And so, yeah, I think this is just a, a fun time to explore this very different book. Yeah. I so agree. what are our goals? Uh, our, our, our ends, our, our telos. telos. Yeah. <laughs> what are our goals in this series? So I think one of my goals is going to be to uh, remind people to keep the faith, because that's one of the central themes here. Um, there are lots of things that pull us out of a right and faithful relationship with God, and that's what John of Patmos is calling out in this text. He is calling out the things that distract us from a fully faithful response. I think my goal is to get people to use eschatological hope in a sentence. Woo, that's a big goal, girl. <laughs> um, so what I mean by that is what, I think that the book of Revelation is profoundly hopeful, and it is hopeful in mm -hmm. that it is illustrating God at work in creation and God actively restoring creation to its intended glory. That does not mean there won't be trials and tribulations. That does not mean that like some things will fall apart and burn, but it means that God is with us always. And eschatological hope is my favorite thing to preach on. It's one of my core theological convictions as a preacher and I'm really excited that we get to spend all summer just reiterating that with people over and over again, even though there's going to be some strange metaphors and images as we go along. Yeah. Over and over and over again, my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to um, removing some or maybe even all of the anxiety from this portion of scripture. And to hammer in that reminder that that the Bible is meant to be a hopeful text. It's not meant to be one that scares us or anything like that. And um, so to help people 
step out of this fear that we're seeing signs of end times and into the hope that this is the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> like there's a lot wrong with the world right now. And so this is a chance. It's not, um, it's an, an ending and a beginning. It's an omega and an alpha. <laughs> Well, and Chris, mm-hmm. the terminology we see, and Chris, like, kind of going along with what you were saying, I think I'm. I will just speak from my own context. Um, a lot of my people are kind of itching for things to return to normal, and I'm really hoping that this mm-hmm. series will help us unveil what was problematic about the normal. Whether we're talking about like, whether we're talking about racism whether we are talking about income inequality, whether we are talking about um, unequal access to healthcare, any any topic. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping that we can be, I'm really hoping I can be brave in saying like, there's actually a lot wrong with the world that you so desperately want to return to. And how can we build a better world going forward? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, oh, I was just going to say, so, I mean, this period of quarantine, this period of being at home has been both a challenge and a blessing for me personally. It's been a challenge because I am here alone with my cat. Um, I'm not having a lot of human interaction these days. Um, But the blessing of it has just been really long periods of, of reflection, both in terms of like where I am and where I want to be, but also where we as a country are and where and what my hopes and dreams are as a citizen of that country. And I have to say, like, I've had a lot of time to read. I've had a lot of time to listen to podcasts. I've had a lot of time to kind of do the things that I keep putting off when I'm like too busy. And I'm really hoping that as things kind of move to a new normal, I don't lose that um, as we're figuring out what the summer and what the fall are going to look like. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with you. This is gives us a perfect opportunity to try things that people were nervous about trying or unwilling to try before, like using Zoom for Bible studies or um, connecting more virtually, having our services online. Those are all things that before we didn't have a point, but we're we're seeing are going to be important things moving forward. Um, this is changing the way we do church, the way that people go to church, as we mentioned before. And that's okay. It's okay to let go of some of the old things. My congregations are even talking about when we are back in person again, what are we going to change based on this experience? What are we going to keep from it? And what are we going to toss out from the old. And in fact, Alan and I had talked years ago, just kind of in a uh, scotch drinking on my porch kind of evening. Uh, we we kind of dreamed and hoped together about what it might look like to change church in ways where pastors can be more collaborative. And I think one of our examples was, what would it look like if you took three pastors and gave them like five or six churches? And here we are. Yeah. Yes. You know, that was, that was my fantasy in part uh, where I was serving at the time, because we often, as Rebecca said at the top of the podcast, we bring different skills and talents together, but all three of us are serving as generalists. You know, we're 
uh, head cooks and bottle washers. We do a little bit of everything based on who our people are. I had no training whatsoever for youth ministry or uh, running a confirmation class or anything like that. And here I am running a confirmation class. You know, it would be really neat if we could take the old model of the tall steeple church that had a whole bunch of specialized staff and instead have two or three generalists with specialties under that general heading, you know, collaborating and uniting because we have so many little congregations around. And lo and behold, we're doing that in a way that we had never anticipated. No, this is definitely not what it looked like when we talked about that all those years ago. Um, It never looked like um, doing remote church and writing sermons together. And yet here we are. I love it. Indeed. Yeah. And I think it also never really looked like... I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. So I think the only way that we can do this is because we have a deep love and a deep conviction and a deep commitment to our congregations. I think sometimes people are like, oh, the pastors are moving to virtual church because they just don't want to have in-person worship. And instead of looking at it that way, looking at it in terms of like, this is where we are. And this is where we want to be. And how do we get from A to B? In case you couldn't tell, I'm definitely the pragmatist of this group who is like, okay, this is where the world is. And we can't change that. And we should, if we can learn to accept change and adapt to the change, I think our churches will be better off in the long run. And sure, there are definitely people in all of our congregations who are not going to adapt to this change, who are very angry that we either are not back in person or are have too many restrictions in place now that we are back in person. And that's okay. Um, I think our churches are big enough to hold space for that. Um, but I just really hope and pray that uh, people get as excited as we are for this new thing that God is revealing to us. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm certainly excited. This is giving me energy and life in a time when I had been thinking, oh man, I haven't had a day of vacation since November. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and now I am excited and uh, fired up about writing new material. Uh, though I will admit I have been on at least a few of these last... Uh, last Sundays, excited about the material I was writing because our world served up things that were exciting. Guys, the world is providing such good sermon illustrations right now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's trying to, but it's doing a great job. No. It feels like one of those times in history, though, that no matter what you choose from the world to talk about in a sermon, someone is going to be pissed at you. I have had... (laughs) I mean, like, it's just... You can't not get yourself in trouble right now, short of like no. ignoring everything around us, because our culture likes to turn everything into a political debate. Mm-hmm. Not not even our culture. Uh, like we in the pews are like, well, if you saying God bless America, then you must hate black people. If you say that Black Lives Matter, you must not support the police. And these false dichotomies that we're creating are not helping us 
weather this pandemic. They're making it more difficult. They're isolating us and they're making us feel like we are not in this together and our actions don't directly impact the person in the house next to us. Would you say it's, that's one of the things being revealed right now? Yes. It's almost it's almost like she's unmasking a soft idolatry oh, in our midst. I think she might be. She fits right you in here. You guys didn't tell me about all the puns <laughs> in this podcast. I don't know how you wouldn't have seen that coming. <laughs> didn't you listen to any of the podcasts? <laughs> Certainly not. Also, she's been around us in person before. That's you would true. think she'd know it was coming. That is true. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I, I guess we've known Rebecca for what seven oh years gosh. now. Sure, I don't, I don't count years like that anymore. <laughs> I just say a while. It was everything was either like a few years ago or yesterday. That's just how that yeah. is now. A few years. Um, so I think we've, I think we've kind of introed pretty well um, why we chose Revelation, what we're doing with this series, some of some of the things that uh, unmasking or uncovering or revealing might be um does anyone else have like one final thing that you want to pitch in before we get ready to roll out sure we're going to be putting the content of our collective sermon online for you all to listen to so i though carissa i think you mentioned that earlier i i think you know we don't need to get into the details of the sermon itself because everybody's going to get the chance to listen. So Yeah, this series will be just a little bit different than some of our past series where we kind of open up the text a little bit more. Uh, we kind of exegete it with you as we're preparing our sermons. Uh, this time we're going to be um, doing, doing things just a little bit differently since you'll have the opportunity to hear those sermons as well. Sh- shall I pray us on out of here? That would be awesome if you could. Gracious God, we thank you for revealing new opportunities to us. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to nudge us, to drag us, to force us to work together in strange and exciting new ways. We thank you for collaboration and collegiality and all of the new opportunities that are being unveiled in these strange times. We ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to be broken open so that we may feel and share your love with all of your beloved creatures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And now, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. 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 Thank you, friends, for joining us for another episode of Soft Idolatry. You can connect to us by going to our website, which is www.softidolatry.com. You'll find links there to our Facebook, our Instagram. And uh, also, if you'd like to help support us financially a little bit, podcasting ain't free. Uh, you can support us at Patreon, and that link is on the website as well. You can always email us at info at softidolatry.com. Uh, hey, Rebecca. Yes. 
we're all Presbyterians here, uh, so you may know the answer to this question, but how many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? One. You can't change that light bulb. My grandmother donated that light bulb. <laughs> well, so in my in my churches, I, I, that happens, and then somebody goes to Walmart, buys the light bulb, gets on the ladder, changes the light bulb, and then we have an angel that did it. Yeah. Granted, the angel is 86 and should not be on a ladder. And if I catch him on a ladder, I'm going to yell at him. But that's how light bulbs get changed in my churches. I didn't realize that joke was going to unpack so much baggage. (laughs) Hey, I'm just glad I didn't have to listen to another pun this week. Um, Yeah, there's more where that came from. (laughs) I'll I'll, I'll find you one. (laughs) All right, friends. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check us out at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd really like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Thanks.